You might even look at a seed and determine that is an apple seed. And people that know about that sort of thing, they could pick it out pretty quickly. But beloved, you can never eyeball an apple seed and come away from looking at that apple seed with the image of a tree or an apple. Terry Knighton, the pastor of New Life Community Church. I thank you so much for turning us on, tuning us in. I trust as always that the Lord's going to bless you up one side and down the other as we fellowship together here for the next several moments. We're going to be dealing with a really interesting subject, one we actually began to get into with this last message. We're going to continue on with that today. We're talking about the resurrection and our resurrection bodies. A lot of people that I run into in and around the community are curious about what our body is going to look like, what this being is going to be like in heaven. I think sometimes we overthink that, but the scriptures are pretty clear about uh, how this is all going to play out, what it's going to look like. No pun intended. Our text passage for this series is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to read one verse in your hearing right now, and we're going to jump right on into this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, go with me down to verse 35, and the New International Version puts it this way. But someone may ask, and indeed they do, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? What kind of body will they come forth with? Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for each one listening into this telecast, and I pray in Jesus' name, whether they're listening live or later, that by your word you would speak to their hearts, encourage them, challenge them to know as you, Lord, were resurrected so we too can have that tremendous hope. We pray, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Hey, you hang in there. I'll be back here in just a little while to wrap things up. God bless you. Let me recap just a little bit from part one, and I'm going to be just as brief as I can with this. I'm headed to study note number one, so you keep your uh, pens ready. Paul begins to wrap up this letter to the Corinthians with this key chapter, and he conveys very simply, and you have to go back to chapter 15, verse 1 to find this. He says, Now, brothers, speaking to the ecclesia, the church, the called out ones, I want to remind you, I want to put in your mind again, remind you of the gospel I preached to you. He's very specific in what he says here. I suggested to you last week that some things bear repeating. Certainly the details surrounding God's gospel is one of those things. The real meat of part one was this. It was for you to understand that Jesus Christ not only died for your sins, which he did, whoever you are, not just us church folks, but for all of humanity. 
Jesus died. Not only that, he was of necessity buried. I suggested to you that's what they do with dead things. But ultimately, and this is what I wanted you to get, he was resurrected to give you the greatest hope for victory over your sins. Everybody say resurrected. Listen, if Jesus hadn't gotten up out of that grave, then at best, beloved, we would live in this pitiful existence with only the hope of sleeping in the ground from now on. That's not much hope. I don't think that it is, and you can disagree with me on that. The hope of once again becoming that, uh, the way that we started out, once again becoming dust. But listen, Jesus was resurrected. I get excited about this. In fact, I might get a little too excited about this, and, and, uh, and I'm sorry about that, I guess. Maybe, maybe not. Jesus was resurrected. Do you believe that? The most important, according to a lot of people that are a lot smarter than I am, and I just happen to agree with them. I like it when I agree with smart people. Say amen right there. The most important part of the gospel, beloved, is the resurrection. Feel that in with me. The resurrection, it ratifies the entirety of the good news gospel message. Now, I tried to be clear last week. Sometimes I'm not as clear as I want to be. But I tried to be clear that I'm speaking about a literal, physical, bodily resurrection. And I spent a good amount of your time fleshing that out, no pun intended, before you last week. Yes, I did. Now, Jesus, because Jesus was resurrected, because of that historical Bible fact, so too you can be resurrected. That's God's desire for you. Jesus died for, for you to be able to do that. That is certainly Pastor Terry's purpose and plan and desire for everybody that, uh, that sits under the sound of my voice week in and week out. Now, that was a pretty good summary of a 45-minute message, wasn't it? Should have just given you the summary last week. Here we go, part two. Let's see what else Paul was inspired to help these folks with. By the way, this is not Paul's opinion. It's straight from the throne of God. Look in verse 35 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, our text chapter. Paul says, and I quote, But someone may ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? Now, certainly you know by now that many someones have posed the question, how? As a pastor, as a, a teacher of the Word of God, I hear this all the time. What is it going to be like in heaven? What are our bodies going to look like? How is that going to happen? Meaning what shape, what form, what constitution will our resurrected bodies have? Now, I love it that the eternal and omnipresent God of creation in his foresight and wisdom has anticipated the inquisitiveness and sometimes just plain old curious nosiness of his most cherished creation. He knew someone was going to ask about this. God knew this was going to mystify a certain segment of his little ones. Watch this. He cared enough to enlighten us. Isn't that great? Now, though the answer to Paul's question, somewhat of a rhetorical question, 
that we see here, verse 35. Though the answer is given very quickly here, it's given as to the how. In order to understand or to grasp this answer, it requires a little bit of digging, a little bit of study, a little bit of an open heart and an open spirit and just a scotch of faith. Paul continues, look at verse 36. He said, how is this going to happen? What is this going to look like? Note Paul's response. How foolish. Don't you hate it when you ask a question and the one you're asking the question of says, how foolish. Now, was he reprimanding them because they asked the question? Look at your neighbor and say, no. No. Here's the New International Version. I, the New International Version takes it like this. Paul was saying, don't be foolish. Y'all know how this works. Don't be foolish. Y'all know how this works. Look at the latter part of verse 36. I'm going to read from the Amplified Version. It will appear on the screen. And it comes out like this. Every time you plant seed, any of you planted any seed this spring? Every time you plant seed, anybody put anything in the offering plate this morning? Every time you plant seed, watch this, there's seed and then there's seed. I'm pausing for emphasis. Every time you plant seed, you sow something that does not come to life, germinating, springing up, and growing unless it first dies. Let me read it like this. Unless it first dies, that thing will not come to life. And then I'm going to say parenthetically, Paul offers a series of examples and illustrations, and I'm going to unpack that before you this morning. I'm going to begin this way as number two on your study notes. Seed time and harvest. You hear this mentioned at New Life quite often. It's probably been in study notes more times than I care to, uh, to count. Seed time and harvest is a running theme from the beginning to the end of the Bible. Basically, it is this, a seed by whatever kind, a seed is deposited and ultimately a yield or a harvest comes forth. You understand that. But he's telling us here in verse 36, first, everybody say first, first the seed must die. Now I come away from that scratching my old bony head. What does that mean? Watch this. It doesn't mean necessarily what you might have always thought that it does mean. It may not mean what it sounds like upon first hearing it. Because, watch this, in reality, a seed doesn't die. Now, some of you are going to make a little note right there and say, man, I'm going to have to get with him after the service. He's wrong about that. Well, just hear me out. A seed doesn't die. A seed doesn't rot. A seed doesn't disintegrate. It doesn't begin to putrefy and ultimately dissipate into thin air after it's planted. Quite the opposite, in fact. Quite the opposite. For a seed to die would be the end of it. Doesn't that make sense? So far as it's being 
is concerned. One writer puts it this way, a seed is full of the potential of life and continues to be so as it becomes a plant, end quote. I found this from another writer, and I love this, the acorn on the ground. And I'm telling you, I'm an old deer hunter. I picked up more acorns than you can shake a stick at. But the acorn on the ground isn't dead, it's in waiting. Hard to imagine that inside that little acorn is what? The mighty oak tree. I cut one open one time, looked inside. There was this tiny little tree. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's in waiting. The germinating seed does not cease to exist, but rather it only softens. And I'm being a bit biological with you here it softens and the elements inside and there are some elements inside they begin to rearrange uh, themselves in the form of roots and stem and so on and so forth one of the uh, slides I had come up this morning had a picture of that uh, a, a literal photo of that taking place and it that never ceases to amaze me listen beloved in effect that seed must cease to be a seed it must cease to be a seed in order to become something else, what it is destined to become. How many of you know seedism isn't all that that seed is destined to be? Just being a seed. Seedism is not a word. I made it up. Make a note of that. Someday I'm going to have the Knighton International Dictionary put all these words in there so you'll know what I'm talking about. Listen. It can no longer find its identity in, in that of its old self, just a seed. And in this way, it must die. It has to cease to exist as its original self. So it is essentially, or it, it did essentially, or has to essentially die to itself. Now, bear in mind, what I'm talking to you about this morning is an illustration of our own death and our own resurrection. I know we don't like to talk about death. I trust that we do like to talk about resurrection. They're all kind of interconnected. All of what I'm going to talk to you about this morning is the beautiful glory of God. By the way, the glory of God is a complex subject in some respects. But God, uh, there is... There is what God has intended, part of the glory of God that is intended for you, for every living soul. When the believer, everybody say believer. When the believer leaves this present existence, they do not cease to exist. Isn't that good news? They may appear so for a season. We all have our loved ones. I certainly do that uh, we have put away for a season. But beloved, in time, the seed, even the body, if you please, that is planted will give way to, listen to my words, will give way to a new transformative process. Think with me. Such dying, such dying as we're talking about, dying to self, dying to what you were, produces a change. Boy, wouldn't it be easier to change if you didn't have to experience a death to something else or die to that something else, even in all of life? To transform from a tiny seed 
to the tree that gives the ultimate fruit, the seed has to be changed and yielded to the process. You don't want no ornery seed that won't yield. Are you with me so far? And you get those every now and then. You ever plant anything that didn't come up? An ornery seed. Number three on your study notes. Would you feel this in with me, beloved? It is, in fact, a type of death. When he says that there has to be that death, he's talking about a type of death for the seed. I told you that to take you to verse 37. Paul says this, When you sow, you, you Galatians, don't be foolish. You know this, or you Corinthians, rather, don't be foolish. You know these things. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, no one plants apples, am I right? But just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else, verse 38. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Question for you this morning. How many of you know that an apple, a little old red apple or green in some cases or yellow and others and on and on and on but an apple an apple in no way resembles the seed that brings it into existence am I right you might even look at a seed and determine that is an apple seed and people that know about that sort of thing they could pick it out pretty quickly but beloved you can never eyeball an apple seed and come away from looking at that apple seed with the image of a tree or an apple make sense now the word of God has established the basic mechanics of how the tiny seed produces a big old tree that ultimately presents us with a bounty of apples. It's amazing to me, you plant one or two seed, a tree comes up and there's just bukus of the fruit, the apple, if you please. Well, let's move on. Paul goes on to give us some very enlightening details about the various types of seed. Watch this, beloved. He's not changing the subject but he's further illustrating it. Look in verse 39. He says, all flesh is not the same. And then he goes a little deeper. Men have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds another. And fish another. Now all of us, if you have any sense at all, beloved, you know that human beings do not have fur or feathers or fins. Can I get an amen right there? You know that. And he continues to build his case by establishing that there is a distinction between heavenly bodies and earthly ones. Hmm. Beginning in verse 40, there's this very interesting word that sent me running all around, all around my studies this week. Very interesting word. The New International Version gives us the word splendor. It's not a very good translation, to be honest with you, not at uh, that point. Actually, the Greek word is doxa, and you Greek scholars will recognize that as glory, 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 the unspoken manifestation of God. It corresponds with the Old Testament Hebrew word kabo, both terms, whether old or new, whether Hebrew or Greek, both terms convey God's infinite, intricate, or I should say inherent worth. Number four, fill this in with me if you would, please. We're advised that the many types of bodies 
have their own unique glory. I mentioned glorier, a glory just a few moments ago, not Gloria, whoever she is, but to glory just a few moments ago. The many types of bodies have their own unique glory. What does that mean? Their own unique manifestation of God, and God himself is the one that has given the design. Okay? He, Paul comes back in verse 42 with this, first part of the verse. So, and when you see so, you need to back up and see what it's there for. So, so he's drawing a conclusion. So, will it be, will it be with the resurrection of the dead? I come away from that asking myself, so what will be? So it will be, what will be? Here's the what, the best I can discern. The substance of our resurrected bodies will be a manifestation of that which God has designed. Who designed? That God had designed. I take great comfort in that. I am glad that that's not one of the things that I have to do this week. That's all God's business, all right? Beloved, and I'm not hurrying this up in any way, form, or fashion, but at some point in time, this body is going to become a deceased body if the Lord tarries long enough. And that which is true for me is true for you. These deceased bodies will be buried or put away with one form, alike a seed, being an apple, tomato, whatever the case might be, but subsequently resurrected with another completely different form, again, by God's design. Now, note verse number 42. I'm going to divide verse 42 into... Uh, Two little deliveries to you here this morning because it puts forth exactly what God's design is. It gives us where we are now, and then it tells us the way it's going to be. So look at this, verse 42, the kind of the middle part of the verse. Paul says, the body that is sown, the body that is buried, the body that is put away is perishable. In other words, it can perish. It will go away. If it stays in the ground long enough, it will return to dust. Beloved, that's just dirt with a little bit of age on it. Okay? Verse 43, it is sown in dishonor. If you have ever stood around while one of your loved ones was stuck in the ground and somebody threw dirt on top of them, you know what he's talking about. It is sown in dishonor. It is sown in weakness, without strength. It can't do anything. Verse 44, it is sown a natural body. Then there's a but. All of that right there is just kind of discouraging, isn't it? All of this great, big, beautiful me at some point in time, this, this big, beautiful me is perishable, and it's, it, it's given to dishonor and shame and being shamed. It's weak in more ways than you can imagine. It's just a natural body. But that's not how it's going to be once the seed is transformed. Once the seed is in its resurrected state. Let me go back through verse 42, pointing out to you the way it's going to be. Again, kind of the middle part of verse 42. It is raised imperishable. How is it sown? Perishable. How is it raised? 
imperishable. That means it won't perish, can't perish. Verse 43, it is raised in glory, sown in dishonor, raised in glory. It is raised in power, sown in weakness, raised in power. Verse 44, it is raised, look at this, a spiritual body. Hallelujah. Now, at this point, Paul is inspired to back way up and give some fundamental details to help us understand even better. We're given some historical highlights, if you please, that undergird the distinct difference between the fleshly man and the spiritual man. Now, this is all tied together. Let me uh, get into this by asking you another question. Someone please tell me who was the first ever man that was created. You sure about that? Yeah, it was Adam. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 confirms that for us. And we're told that Adam became a living being. You know, I haven't always been. On October the 27th, 1957 at 1010 in the morning, I became a living being. Well, actually, it was a few months before that, but I was introduced to the world as a living being. Adam became a living being, and because of that, we can and we did become living beings. Uh, living here is an interesting word. I'm not going into all that at this point, but I'd encourage you to take a look at that. Beloved, we're going to cut in right there. We'll look forward to finishing this up with you on our next edition. But before we go away tonight, let me ask you this. So many seem to be so concerned about what these bodies are going to be like and look like on the other side of the grave in eternity. Here's a question I want to leave with you. Are you ready for the resurrection? Are you prepared for the resurrection that we've been talking about, a resurrection to good things, to an eternity with God. Have you been born again? That's the only way you can secure uh, that resurrection. Now, we're going to live somewhere forever. Make no mistake about it. We will. Spiritually, we will live somewhere forever. Once these spirits are breathed into existence, they live on and on and on. But there is a preferred place for us to spend eternity, and that is with God that happens through His Son, Jesus Christ. I encourage you to be born again, to know God, to confess your sins, repent of your sins. When Jesus comes knocking on your heart's door, you purpose to open your heart's door and invite Him in and believe that He's going to do the work that He said He would do. That is my prayer for you. That's why we're here. So I trust you'd take courage by that. Beloved, if you have any questions regarding uh, Bible thoughts or some of the things that we've talked about here, there's some information appearing there on the screen right now. Uh, give us a holler. We would love to hear from you, talk with you, try to help you know and understand better the Word of God. Let me pray for you, and I have to get out of here. Father, I thank you for each and every one listening in right now. I thank you in particular for those that have uh, settled their resurrection settled their eternity with you. And I pray for those who have yet to make that decision that right now may be the time that they pause 
and look to you and confess their sins and invite Jesus to come in to be the Lord of their life, to take his rightful place on the throne room of their heart and to be about your business for the remainder of their days and throughout eternity. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. And let me remind you that New Life has a regular schedule of activity Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. Something, perhaps something for you. We do a little bit of everything here. We tell people you have to attend New Life for a while to really get it. But we'd love to see you. We also have midweek activities Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock. Family Ministries Night. Something for every member of the family. I do have to get out of here. I'm Terry Knight, the pastor of New Life Community Church. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. Let me remind you, my friends, Jesus is coming back. Is He coming back for you?